trust in God. Now, we all come from different backgrounds and stories and journeys how, in how um, trust has impacted our lives of God and other people. And we have a lot of curious and interesting ways of coping with those issues. Um, we have ways of, of, you know, keeping people out. And some people have more ways of keeping people out because they're afraid of people. They have trust issues with other people. And just maybe you're here today saying, that's me, and, many, and it's all of us on some level. We also have trust issues with God. But what I want to tell you this morning is that we can trust God because He is the one who fulfills His promises. Now, we all have different stories and different backgrounds of how trust or, um, or relying on people fulfilling what they've said they would do have impacted us, probably from the time we were a very small child. I remember when I was a, uh, an elementary school age person, you know, um, I don't know, third, fourth grade, you, you, you know, you, you get some friends, some buddies from the neighborhood, and you go skating with them. Back in the day, we used to roller skate too, you know, on your street. It wasn't embarrassing to roller skate on the street, you know. For a while, it was like embarrassing to roll, roller skate on the street from like the 90s to like 20, I don't know, to 2000. And then it got cool again. But we'd, we would skateboard all the time. And when your wheels ran out, you actually ripped off mom's old skates from 1950. And you would take the wheels off and the old bearings you put them on your skateboard. And that was fun too. So that, that's a real thing. And that's why with wheels and skateboard became smaller because kids were ripping off mom's skates from the 1950s. So that being said, we would play in the neighborhood, get to know kids. And there was a guy named Bob who was in our neighborhood. And he was a little bit older. And he was, he was a friend of mine. I really looked up to him. He was actually like, like three years older than me. He wasn't my age. He was, he was three years older. Now in dog year, in kid years, that's a lot of years, right? Because a lot happens in three years for a kid. I mean, in one year from, right, from seventh grade to like ninth grade or two years, it doesn't even look like the same person at all. And it isn't the same person because their brain is more attached. They're bigger. They have hair everywhere. Maybe guys on their face and stuff. But Bob was like one of my buddies and we'd go, we would go skateboarding and we would ride our bikes at the park and hang out with a bunch of kids and we would do the jumps off of stuff at the at the park and we had a lot of fun and i remember one day um uh, bob had said hey i'm going to be there at such and such a time to, to hang out with you and then bob didn't show up bob didn't he didn't show up at the door to, to come play and now he didn't get hurt or anything like that he just didn't come because he was a young person, and he forgot, you know. But for me, as a kid, looking back, I remember at the time it really like it hurt my feelings. I was like, "Sad, dude. Where's my buddy Bob? He said he's going to be here. We're going to ride our bikes at the park and play basketball with the other kids and go off the jumps and all that good stuff." But he wasn't there. Now I realize that there's there's moments like that in our life that we can look back to and remember. And what they do is they even build resilience. That happens to kids all the time, right? Kids are going to face disappointment because later in life, in your adulthood, you're gonna you're gonna face some bigger, more complex disappointments than your buddy Bob not showing up the door when he said he was gonna be there when you're in third grade. For a third grader, that's hard. That's that's difficult. And it builds resistance and it happens, but maybe, maybe just maybe you have been through some situations like that where you wanted to cook with your mom because you thought it looked so cool and you weren't quite big enough to turn on the stove because it's kind of dangerous. And if you, let's, let's face it, a few years ago, it was more dangerous for kids to turn on the stove than it is today. You know, psh, the gas is on. Oh, the gas, the pipe's not lit yet. Psh, 
filling up the house was like, like you maybe wanted to like you, 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 you ladies, I'm not trying to think like a woman. I'm not a woman. I'm just like, maybe there was something you wanted to do with your mom and she didn't let you do it. It was disappointing. Or you guys, you wanted to play some ball with your dad because you saw the neighbor's kid playing catch with his dad. It was a football or, or, or baseball. And you were like, what's that? I want to do that. Or you found your, I, I found my dad's karate gi in the closet. And I was like, what's this? It was like wrapped up all special. You know, the belt's tied around it. If you've ever been like martial arts, they, they used to like fold up their gi. It was like, it was like the ceremonial folding and it was in the closet, like all tight. And then the belt was wrapped around it really cool, like a present, like a little present. And I found that and I, I he would, and I found that I showed him and then he started taking me to karate class because I, I wanted to go play or do what dad was doing. Right. But the point is this, that you have had moments in your life where, where maybe that person, mom or dad or friend lets you down. And maybe, maybe even today, you have a hard time dealing with, with whether or not or understanding or trusting in other people because you just don't know if they're going to fulfill their promises in your life. And I want to tell you today, I need you to understand today that the God that you and I know, even though parents and friends and family can let us down, and sometimes it's our fault and it's not their fault, by the way, they can let us down. And we can, but it's a real feeling. But the God that we know fulfills every single promises that He talks about. And I don't know if you know that today or totally buy into that, but I need you to know that the Bible addresses the promises of God and that the God that you and I know, Jesus, He fulfills every single promise that He ever speaks of. And I want to know today if you actually believe that in your heart. That if you trust that God actually fulfills every promise that He does. And so we're going to take a few minutes today and I'm going to show you in the Bible that God actually fulfills His promises in light of the promise of the coming Messiah who is Jesus, the one who was sent to pay for sinners, who would come and take on flesh as a baby in history. I mean, it is that season, isn't it? And today we're, uh, we were talking about the coming of Christ. We are first addressing this, this Christmas season as the promise. In the next two weeks, we're going to, um, address, address it as the, the journey and then also as the arrival. But today is about the promise. You see the promise that God made throughout history. That he, he that he said he keeps, and we need to know that as his people. Will you turn to the book of Matthew, chapter one, Matthew chapter one, and we're going to actually see how God fulfills His promises, Matthew chapter one. And then I need you to know that in just a few minutes, we're actually going to look also into the narrative of of Luke chapter one, and we'll see more promises of God. Matthew chapter one. Matthew 1. Do you trust the promises of God? Do you believe that He keeps the promises that He says He will? And I want you to know today that you can absolutely trust the promises of God because He is God and there is none like Him. Though friends, spouse, children, everyone around you, co-workers, they could fail to keep their promise in your life. 
You have failed to keep your promises in your life, most likely. But God does not. When you look at the story of the coming Jesus, it is a story of God fulfilling the promises that He has made throughout history, and that is the sending of this, this special one, this anointed one. Matthew picks up in verse 1, he says this, this is the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's how he highlights the very first section of the, the narrative. He says that this is the book of genealogy. He refers to him as Jesus, Yeshua. Like It's sort of like a Joshua kind of sound. It, it means Savior. It means the one who saves. It's Jesus. The name is kind of, it was kind of common, but it, it is a saving name. It's Savior. And Christ is a, a bit of a title that goes along with the way that we refer to Jesus. Jesus, who is the Christ. That's what it says there in the text, right? Jesus Christ. It means anointed one. You can imagine throughout history, a king would be chosen and oil would be poured over him. He would be anointed with oil. And it would be proclaimed, this would be the king. And they would in the old... Testament, they would speak of God anointing someone with oil or anointing them. It's their choice, chosen, anointed one. Christ is the anointed. He's the called one. But He's also the Son of David. And what you're going to see is a lot of names here, and I'm not going to read all of them this morning. There is a lot of names from Abraham through David. He gives this lineage. And we see two massive things. Number one, we see that the very promise began way before Abraham, but it goes through Abraham, but it also goes through David, who is a king. So Jesus is the one who is royal. And the people that would hear this and read this, they would know, these these Jewish people would know, because Matthew's primarily speaking to Jewish people, ethnically, culturally, they would hear these names and they would think, my goodness, God fulfilled His promises just like He said He would when He talked about it, when He mentioned it, when He chose Abraham. And that's what they would think. God fulfills His promises. Now, there's a lot of names that are listed here. And I told you, I'm not going to name them. I'm, I'm not going to read them all. You can read them another time. And there's a lot of background story if you were to just go through the names that you'll see here. Real quickly, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and, and Zariah and Zerah by Tamar. Do you know who Tamar is? It was bad. Now, one of the things you'll notice when you look at this, you don't, want, you don't need to look at it right now, but you need to know that there are some people that aren't so good that made some radically bad mistakes in their lives. And some that are actually Gentiles. And so you see these big hints of God working. Not, he chose a people, but He was promising to reach a Gentile people. This was going to be a blessing for the, for the whole world, the coming Messiah, Jesus and so you'll see some messed up people in here. And that's just like you and me, right? Every one of us here has some baggage. We have some difficulties. We have some, some ways of not trusting others and keeping everyone away and making it look like we do trust them. And making it look like we do trust God when we don't. And I'm going to show you and I'm going to call you later to find out if you're willing to trust in God in all things in every aspect of your life. And so, so you see the promise coming through God in the person of Christ. And, that, and when you pick up in verse 18, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a, a good man, a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved 
that he was going to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's us. And all this took place to fulfill. These words are very key. You see, because God keeps his promises, there is nothing that God doesn't say that doesn't get fulfilled. Everything that he, he says will happen actually comes to bear. Listen to what this says. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Do you see? See, God spoke about this before, and God keeps His promises, and God says things, and they come to be. And this is what it says. It's quoting right out of Isaiah. It says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel. God with us. You see, this is taken. The New Testament is telling us, do you see? Do you see how God spoke to a people way before this? Do you see how God made a promise, and then He brought it to, to, to bear it right before us? That is what he's saying. So that number one, that God keeps his promises, and then and 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 secondly, that that the way he shows this is through the coming of the Son through through the Virgin, who is Mary. Now also look in verse five of chapter two, it says this. Here's another promise I want you to see. You see, there was a whole visit from the wise men that you guys, so many of you have heard before. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod, this is in verse 1, Behold, wise men came from the east, and they came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, now he was not a good person, by the way. Herod, just because someone's name is in the Bible does not mean they're a good or decent person. You know that. Herod's really, he's a wicked man. And what you find out later is he wants to kill Jesus because he's fearful that his kingdom will become be undermined by Jesus, who is a king. But he doesn't get it because Jesus' Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. King Herod heard this and he was troubled. Why was he troubled? Because he thought, who is this king? We need to kill him. And all Jerusalem with him and assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of when and where the Christ was to be born. Look at that. A pagan, non-believing man looking all over the place trying to figure out what are the signs of this coming king. They told him in Bethlehem of Judah, for so it is written by the prophet. Do you see that a promise was made by God? And do you see that the promise comes to comes forth? For it is written by the prophet... And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Shepherd my people. So God makes promises, and God fulfills those promises. The Word of God, as Christians, you see, we believe that the Word of God is God's Word, and that, that He keeps His promises. So God makes promises. And this is the question I have for us today, is do you actually believe that God fulfills His promises? Do you actually trust that God keeps His promises? What does it look like 
to trust God? If I feel anxious about my life, do I trust God? If I feel fearful about my life, do I trust God? Do I feel anxious and do I fear, feel, feel fearful if I feel so? If I feel in such a way, which we all have, you feel fearful, you feel anxiety, you get angry because you're fearful or because you're anxious. That's why you get angry. That's why, that's why we fearful and anxiety. That we have emotional responses because of those things. And I'm asking you, do we trust God in those moments? We know that this is a broken world and that we, we all struggle with so many things. But I want you to wrestle with, do you trust God? You see, those things, they show us. They highlight a weakness going inside of us. They highlight a trust issue with our God. Don't they? Every single time we have anxiety and every time we have fearfulness. Have you ever wondered why when angels stand before people and they start to address them, they say, don't be afraid. Dude, all these types of things lead back to our trust in our God. And you see, from the very beginning, our relationship has been broken because of sin with God. But it is in the midst of being restored by God Himself through Jesus. That's why it's so amazing that Jesus has come. You see, our brokenness is being restored, brothers and sisters. And we have to acknowledge that our, that our weaknesses are broken because of sin, our anxiety, our fears, our reactions to people, and our thoughts. Those wicked thoughts we have toward other people when we're angry, when we're afraid, are, is because of our trust in God or our lack of trust in God. Can I confess to you that one of the ways that I get fearful or have anxiety is when my children are going to be somewhere and I think that there's the possibility of something dangerous that could happen to them? Now, that might not be the way that all of you think about a lot of things, but it might be. I don't know. I don't know. Where is your issue of trust? And so I ask myself, do I trust God in those moments? Do I actually give my children up to God and trust God Himself, the God of heaven, with my kids? Maybe not. Maybe not. And so I call you to ask yourself the same question. Do you actually trust Him? Because here's the deal. I want you to see that we can actually trust God, that the Bible clearly tells us that we should trust God. And because of this very reason... God fulfills His promises even though everyone around us does not fulfill their promises, including me and you. You and I do not fulfill our promises. We break them. Unless they work to our benefit often. Search your heart. But God, here's the cool thing. This is good news. God does not break His promises. God keeps His promises. His Word stands forever. Number two, So number, number one, God keeps His promises. And you and I need to wrestle with whether or not we believe that. Number two, it's actually a really big deal for you and I to trust that God keeps His promises. Now I want to show you in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. This is still, this is, this is part of the promise of God, bringing Jesus into the world. But I wanted, I wanted to, I want to show you how you and I struggle with this whole issue of trusting God. Like here it is. God made a promise. And then here He comes. The Word became flesh before people's eyes and dwelt among us. 
Number two, it's actually a big deal that you believe and trust in God. It's a, a very important thing. I'm saying this sort of loosely, loosely, it's, but I want you to see this actually kind of a rather big thing that you and I believe the promises of God. Now, there is a phenomenal story that happens in the Gospel of Luke in the very beginning. This is the story of the birth of John, who's called the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus, and also of the story of the coming of Jesus. Now, there's two radically different stories going on here when you read the Gospel of Luke. One is that there is a prophet, and his name is, uh, his name is Zechariah. He's a priest, actually. He's not a prophet. He's a priest. He's a priest of God. And I want to show you something today that I just haven't thought about in a long time, but the word just like struck me as I was reading it this week. You see, he would it would be his turn to go into this very special place um, in the temple where he was conducting worship. It was the place of incense. Okay? And it's very important. Now, he was there. It was his lot to go in there. And you need to understand something. That it had been about 200 years be, be, from the last time anyone heard from God. You, you need to think about that before we actually read the text, that no one had heard from God. You see, God was dwelling among His people, and then there's this thing that scholars call the intertestament period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was just quiet. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know how God spoke to people exactly, exactly, but it was pretty quiet. And there was no, there was no prophet in the land. See, and then there's going to be this birth of, of, of John, who's called the Baptist. He's the last prophet. Do you guys know that? He's the last one. But 200, like about 200 years, there's silence. Absolute silence. So, so there, so, um, the father of, of John the Baptist is Zechariah. And Zechariah, it's his turn to go into the temple. Now, now knowing that the, God has been silent, um, this is what it says. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, Judea, excuse me, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of, of Abijah. And he had a wife from, uh, the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments of the statutes of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth's, Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. That means they were very old. They were old. They were past the years of having kids, way past the years of having kids, unable to have children. You know from reading the text that it was a huge burden to them. It was a sadful, mournful, it was difficult and painful. Now, now serving as priest before God when his division was the, uh, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Do you see that? So it's his, when you read the book of Exodus, these things are established by God and they were just carrying them on. And it was where this, the thing that you need to know is that that place of incense was where God would like show up. But God has not shown up. It's absolutely quiet. There's no prophet because of their sinfulness. They had a lot of rebellious sinfulness and God was quiet. And you need to see that because people just read right over that. According to the custom priest of which he chose my lot in the temple of the Lord to burn incense. It was a place where God showed up. But he hadn't been showing up, but they were going in and doing it. And here's the thing. As he was in there praying, suddenly 
an angel of the Lord shows up. Right? Hundreds of years later. Uh, and they start having this dialogue. He tells them, calm down, relax. You guys are going to have a child. And um, he doesn't believe the angel. Now, he's a priest of God. He absolutely knows better than to doubt this. It's a real issue of his trust. And do you know what happens when he doesn't trust what the angel says? He's totally silent. He becomes silent. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. Ha, 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 ha. Isn't that funny? And my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. So if an angel of the Lord shows up to you and brings you good news, it's best that you listen and believe. And behold, this is what happens. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that this takes place. So what happens is he comes out of that place and he's like, Whoa! he's like, he's making noise and no one can understand. And everyone outside is realizing, dude, he saw God. What's going on? Oh my goodness. And he was totally silent until his child was born. So I'm, I'm telling you this, that you know what? Listening to and trusting the promises of God and believing him are kind of a big deal. So now, now we contrast that with another person who was Mary. The angel of the Lord comes to Mary, and, and it's a similar conversation. And the angel tells her, you're actually going to have a child. And she's pretty surprised by this. She's troubled by this. And in verse 26, chapter 1, the sixth month of the angel Gabriel uh, was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed by a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So she was, she got to realize like, she's 13, 14. She's a, she's a kid. She's a preteen, maybe teen. She's young, okay? She's marriable age then, but she's young. she's like real she's a young woman. She's a very young woman, okay? And but she's really mature. Now here's the thing, like if you if you've been Protestant for a long time, you have certain resistance in your mindset, okay? When you hear people talk about Mary. Because we know that in the Catholic Church there is too much made of Mary. Okay? There there is. Mary would not be pleased with what a big deal they make of her. I'm, that's truth. It's gospel truth. And um but she is a big deal. I mean, she's going to bear the son of God. I mean, you know, this is this is a very special thing. The angel says, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God." I mean, this is a big deal. She is a big deal. So, we don't want to, you know, get too reactive to some of our Catholic brothers and sisters, but be able, you know, to see it for what it is. She was blessed by God, favored by God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, now notice the, a big, radical, a radically big difference between um, the priest and Mary. I want you to look down at verse 37 to see what she actually says to the angel. So, verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, um, who is in old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said this. Listen to what she says. Do you see her trust? Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed. 
Do you see the absolute difference between her and that priest who should know better? Is there a difference between trusting God and not trusting God? Can I ask you this? Which one of them went to heaven? It's a false dichotomy. They both went to heaven. But one had greater trust and went out like, couldn't say anything. And another said, you know, may it be to me according to what you have said. And so I ask you this morning, do you trust God? You see, God fulfills His promises. Jesus is the promise. The good news is this, that a promise was made way before all of this. A promise was made in the garden that the Christ would come. And also to Abraham. And He says it would happen here. So we should believe Him. We should trust Him. And he, it's actually a big deal to believe in what He actually says. So do you trust Him? Do you trust God when He's silent in your life? Man, there's some of you that probably struggle. God has just been quiet, and I feel like He hasn't spoken to me. But I want to ask you whether or not you have been quiet and still and had solitude with God. In all fairness, have you been able to put your iPhone down for 15 minutes just to hang out with God? And it's okay that you feel lonely in that time. And it's okay that you struggle with that. And it's okay that you might have some anxiety during that time. And it's okay that you might be fearful. But I, but I want to know, like, have you been able to put your phone down long enough to actually hang out with God? And I'm not just talking about while you eat your oatmeal in the morning, but actually real, honest, like, like 20 minutes? Like away from everyone else? You know, most people get terrified of doing things like that because there's all this stuff. And I want to know, have you just been still and been quiet with God? Can you trust Him enough to be silent? Can you trust Him in your singleness? You guys, I want you to know that we have people that come to branches. There's, there's single people that come as well. There's not just married couples with kids and families and stuff. There's actually singles that come. Singleness is actually good. And it's a gift. And sometimes, it, but it, sometimes it's really hard for people. But do you trust God with your singleness? And when it feels lonely... Do you have satisfaction in God? Do you trust Him enough with your, do you trust God enough to trust Him with your singleness? Do you trust God enough when you lose your job? And some of us in our church have lost our jobs. And we've seen God provide in some amazing ways. But do you trust Him when your job actually might change? The job that you've done for the last 25 years where it doesn't look the same at all. And you go and you're with a bunch of younger people and they do things different. and It's just different. It's just totally, radically not what you experience. Paperwork's different. There's no paperwork. It's all electronical. There's no envelope. There's an email. And you're like, how do I figure this out? I don't understand. I'm so confused. I'm so... Do you trust God enough to trust Him with your job change that, pro- that, can, that happens and will happen to most of us? The days of 30 years in the same job are just gone for our context. Do you trust God enough to trust Him with your money? Or is money the thing that you hold on to more than anything? Like to the point where it is your God. Do you trust Him enough with your kids and your grandkids? Or are you fearful? You see, our God fulfills His promises. Our God says it and it actually happens. And it's kind of a big deal to believe that He fulfills His promises because some have come out mute when they haven't trusted God. And it doesn't mean that they lost their salvation. I'm just telling you, 
There are ramifications for not trusting our God. We can miss out on God's blessing. Now, what would have happened if he was just like, man, this sounds good to me. Let's, this is rad. I, I don't know. Like, he would have been able to talk. That, number one, that, step one, that would have been a really cool thing. Can you trust God when, when everyone in your household rejects God? There are people in our church where they are alone and the only person who believes in Jesus and everyone else stands against them. Can you trust God enough to trust Him with that and be faithful in the midst of that where it might seem like God is quiet and far away? When everyone in your family rejects God and it feels like they're rejecting you, but they're probably saying, I don't want to reject you. I love you. But we feel like you're rejecting us because you know this God. Can you trust God with your difficult marriage? To not be like everyone else in our culture. The world divorces quickly. Okay? We are not the world. We are not the world. You know, at Branches, we've experienced the blessing of God, guys. Oh, I mean, big time. I, w- I want to just tell, I'm gonna, I want to, you know what I want to do? I wanted to be able to come to you guys today and just kind of cast a little bit of vision. We knew this was a season where people are traveling and, and going, it's Christmas time, right? And all of life is happening, but I want you to reflect just for a moment on how, and, on how God has blessed us, man, big time. You know what? We, we started f- with, um, from scratch. We, we came from, from zero. Uh, one of the first people to be a part of our church was the guy over there, Ron. Ron? First guy, combat vet, comes, hangs, he's hanging out with us. It was started in our, in our backyard. And, and I, and I, you know, and a few months later we launched. We launched in March. And, um, here's the really cool thing, guys. I want you to think of God's blessing. In nine months, and just next, in just nine months later, we, we're, we're gonna have a permanent place of meeting. There's gonna be some more people. There's 80 of us. I don't know if you know that. There's, there's 80. Active people coming, giving, serving, all that. Um, and there's people beyond that that are that they kind of come every once. So there's another 30 people that sort of come every every once in a while. They're curious about God. This amazing work of God's blessing. Can you believe that that God would would do that? You guys, we together have seen people repent of sin. We have seen lost turn to Christ and be baptized. We have seen sleepy Christians wake up. We have seen people that were wayward come back and be among God's people and to re- receive Jesus. And that's happened so fast. And now we're going to be in a permanent place, guys. Dude, we, we want to encourage you and challenge you. Hey, come to our Christmas party because we want to tell you more, just kind of more vision and more preparation of what's going to happen next. But understand, there's a permanent place. Now, there's there's some people there that, um, at the property, and they are so excited. You need to know they are rejoicing, and they are praying with us, and they're excited about how God's going to continue to work in the city. You need to know this also. This is 10 minutes away from where we meet right here. It's 10 minutes. It's actually down the same street, and it's left on Melvern. We're going to have less setup. But this is an act of God's amazing. We, we, there was a bunch of us in our house not long ago, and we were just like, just giving thanks. We can't believe how fast certain things have happened in our very young church life, guys. It's just something that it just blows me away. You know, God didn't have to do any of that. I know this. The Word of God says that He will build His church. It's a promise. Like we don't build a church. God says He built His church. Our responsibility is to make disciples. 
God builds His church. Now, and He could decide to do it where He wants and whenever He wants, however He wants, because He is God. And we just don't have control over that at all. Like, that is God. And I, we just get to see, the, we're the recipients of seeing Him work. And I just, I want to encourage man to just man, rejoice in what God has done, because it is absolutely amazing. In conclusion, I just I wanted you to reflect on these things. Look, this is Advent season. We're a church plant. We don't have like Cirque du Soleil or like super cool smoke machines and stuff. We just have preaching, music, people getting saved, and, some, and we dip some of them. So that's about it. So we're we're man. We are like simple, but man, we care about the pile, the power of God. And look, you need to know, like you are on mission. We are a band of missionaries in the city to reach lost people, period, because we are Christians. There's no way around it. When we do make the transition, we are going to get everyone on board with staying on mission. There's three things that really, really matter for a church. One is that the worship is the glory and the worship of God. Number two is for Christian community. And number three, this one, this one can be forgotten very easily. This third one I'm going to mention. It's mission. We are a band of missionaries on mission. And if we trust God, we're willing to lay it all down and live in such a way that this world is not our home. The heaven to come is our home. So let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. To quote Martin Luther, he was right to say that. Let this world go for the mission. I don't know why God has chosen to bless the way He has so rapidly in a very expensive city where it takes 40 years to have to be a part of property. You, you guys, I need you guys to realize it. It takes 40 years for a church to come to do that. And we, and this is happening in such an amazingly rapid, this is insane. But we can never lose mission. We are a church that started by saying, we are going to be willing to lose good people to send them on mission to reach people with the gospel. And we will hold to that. And we will fight for that. And you know what? The church loves that. And God, God wants that. God cares about mission. So we will throw our money at it and we will send good people and we will lose good, good people to plant more churches, local and abroad.